Moms, since the beginning of time, the bond between mothers and their children has gone unquestioned, right? It's simply common sense. But today we live in an era of complete nonsense. The nuclear family is under attack, we know that. Author Kimberly Ells exposes how anti-family policies are affecting our kids, and she offers great advice today and some hope on how to defend our rights and our families. Welcome to the Moms for America podcast. Each week, special guests tackle the issues facing the moms of America today. Discussions include personal stories and advice on how moms can build a strong foundation of faith, family, and freedom in their homes and country. Hi, I'm Debbie Kurlandis, your host, and thank you for joining me once again this week. I'm so glad that you're here, moms. Uh, right here on the top of the show, I always want to invite you to like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we also ask that you share this podcast with your mama friends. It's going to be another great episode today on a very interesting topic. I can't wait for you to hear from Kimberly. Also, I do want to invite all of our moms that are listening to join the movement here at Moms for America. Come on, moms, please join us. Uh, we are moms uniting all across the country to fight for faith, family, freedom, and the Constitution please go to our website, momsforamerica.us. Check out all of our resources uh, for you in your journey through motherhood. We are here to help you. All righty, on to today's program. Author Kimberly Ells is my guest. Um, I can't wait for you to hear her story. She is a researcher and a writer on family issues, and she has worked as a policy advisor for the past nine years. Kimberly has written an incredible book, it's called The Invincible Family, Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. This is going to be very interesting. Well, welcome, Kimberly, to the Moms for America podcast. We're so glad to have you. I'm excited to chat about what you've discovered and learned about our world, our crazy world, I should say. But first, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about your family um, and your tribe over there? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. I love Moms for America. I've been looking forward to this for some time. So thank you so much and for the work you're doing. Um, our family, I had four daughters very close together, um, and they're all co college age now. And then we had a 12-year gap, and then we have a little <laughs> six-year-old boy. So oh, boy. <laughs> lots of fun at our house. He basically has five moms. Um, which is, is great fun. Like we, it was unexpected and it, it's the best surprise that that we could have ever had. And I, I couldn't have understood how much I would love it having him later in life. So I was an old lady when I had him, I was 42. So you know, that's so funny, Kimberly. My mom, my mom had me at 42. Oh, really? And I was a surprise 16 years later after oh. both my brothers were 16 and 20. Uh -huh. And I came as the only girl. So it's, it's kind of funny, but my mom hit me at 42 and boy, did I keep her going. See, so. and now look at the great things you're doing. Our surprise <laughs> babies are some of our best gifts, I think. Yes. And I love the title surprise baby instead of unplanned. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that because it was, it was surprise, but it was surprise to us, but not a surprise of the Lord, but um, right. so God, God so. knows what he's doing. <laughs> All right. So you're keeping it, the 12 year olds keeping you busy while everybody else is at college. I'm no, so no, no. Six year old, 12, 12 year gap in between. So he's, six he's little. Old. Yeah. <laughs> so he's year little. Gap, six years old. Yeah. He's keeping you busy. Yeah. Yeah. He's oh, the best. So fun. So fun. Well, 
Um, I love that you're a mom of five. I love your story. Um, I love what you've really discovered. Um, even though I don't like the topic, I love that you um, ran forward and discovered this. And now you can talk with us as moms about this. So I kind of want to start a little bit about your journey. In 2013, right, you joined an international organization working um, to protect the interests of children and families. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about the beginning of this journey and why you started on it. Right. Well, before I even joined the organization, which was Family Watch International, um, I, I had just been interested in family topics for some time, done some private writing about it, was looking kind of for a way to contribute, was concerned about some things I saw in society. So I was kind of keeping my eye out. And I was um, looking for something totally different online one day. And I came across a document that ended up changing my life. It was um, a document about the sexual rights of children, uh, sexual rights for youth. And I was like, I thought, wait, what, <laughs> what, what, what is this? And, and, and uh, it was published as I discovered by international planned parenthood federation. And um, at first I thought this, maybe this is satire because how can this be? No, no reasonable person would produce something like this, but, but uh, alas, it was real. And so I got studying and I spent basically that whole day digging into this and trying to find out where did this come from? How widespread is this? And by the end of the day, I thought I, I'm going to fight this with everything I have for the rest of my life if necessary, because it's not right. acceptable in our society to be promoting sexual rights to children. And then uh, long story short, you know, very quickly, God connected me to Family Watch International. And uh, much to my surprise, they had already, this was their main issue, was fighting the children's sexual rights agenda at the global level. And so um, I felt like God just, that was a, a match that he made. And I was able to jump on board and learn and contribute for the past 10 years. All right. So let's unpack this because that was a loaded statement. <laughs> I mean, you you basically went on, on the internet and found horrific information. So mm -hmm. th there's two sexual, right? There's the, the sexual rights campaign that Planned Parenthood. I just kind of want to break this down for a mom so they can understand it. And then there's the sure. children's sexual rights campaign. They're connected as one an umbrella. How 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 are they connected? Well, the International Planned Parenthood Federation and its many partners um, view sexuality as a human right for all people. Um, in fact, a quote from the document that I found that day is they say, sexuality and sexual pleasure are important parts of being human for everyone, no matter what age, no matter if you're married or not, and no matter if you want to have children or not. And then it goes on to say that governments and leaders have a responsibility and duty to respect and fulfill all sexual rights for everyone. So that sums up the ideology that they have embraced. And the thing that's dangerous is that wow. it's not just, it, I've discovered, it's not just International Planned Parenthood Federation. And what they have done now is that they partner with specifically mm -hmm. UN agencies, including UNESCO, UNICEF, the, the entity that's supposed to protect children worldwide. Um, and supposed UNFPA, to protect children, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and they have all embraced the children's sexual rights ideology. And that's manifested in so many ways. For instance, on a, um, a UN document published by UNESCO, UNESCO all okay. of their logos appear on this document that's called the International Technical Guidance on Sexuality Education. And it is laced. Now, it's not all terrible. Some of it's okay, but it's laced with sexual rights ideology that I just outlined from that quote. And so they have all bought in to a huge degree into this ideology. And um, 
Mm. I'm not okay with that. No, <laughs> and I don't I think most okay of the moms of America or the world are okay with that. Right. Just even the term children's sexual rights campaign. Mm-hmm. What the only thing that I can think of that comes to mind is that we need to protect children from mm-hmm. predators or sexualization or grooming. Right. But that is not what this is doing, clearly. That's not at all what it's doing. In fact, right. they they list out specifically that children should have they have a right to access to uh, sexual information and services and experience. So it's basically saying that they have a right to to um, access information of any kind that they want to from any source. And that then, of course, sexual services that serves Planned Parenthood's business model because they want young children to be uh, sexual. Why? So that they will need, quote, need abortions and right. uh, sexual disease testing, perhaps repeated abortions. And can they can then make our children clients for their their uh, business which is exactly which is right. horrific it, it goes deeper than that though they don't just they don't just want to get rich they, uh, they another partner organization is is Seekus. and they they've recently changed their tagline to sex ed for social change and so they're trying to change the sexual norms in society and of course right. that's been happening for decades We've been but saying that right but uh that's their tagline is that they want to use sex ed to initiate social change. And if you look closely, as I have done, a lot of the buzzwords in there are are, um, destructive of the family. What they really want to do is destroy the family by exploiting and destroying sex. That's the agenda. Right. And, you know, it's so, it's so harmful when we let, we open up these doors to the children and let these groomers come in, let them start picking their identity, let them start experimenting, normalizing sex to a child sexual mm-hmm. situations, sexual discussions is, is sick. That's basically what it is. It is sick and it is, um, it's horrible. So this, this, this program, this journey that you went on, you started exposing mm-hmm. this in your book. Um, mm-hmm. so I kind of want to talk about what are some of the things that you, uh, address. Now you just talked briefly about the nuclear family and the, how mm-hmm. they're destroying the nuclear family and they're making kids clients of Planned Parenthood and they're sexualizing them and, this just drives me crazy. I know every mom that's listening right now just like wants to put their, you know, their fist through ever anything to that anybody mm-hmm. that's coming after their child. So why is it so important for them to destroy the nuclear family? Why is it, why is this, they're, they're so afraid of this foundation, aren't they? A mother, mm-hmm. a father, the bond between a mother and a child. They want to destroy this. And basically, obviously they want to become the parents, the government, the global world. They right. want to raise our kids. Right. And so this, let me backpedal just a little bit. So this is, there's two things that that drove me to write the book. And that was the, the first thing is the children's sexual rights campaign. The second part of it is that I came to understand that women, specifically mothers, hold the most powerful, the most powerful mm. position in society. And mm. I think that's absolutely true. And I stand by that statement. And that is that a is story true. that is almost never told. You guys are telling it to some degree, right. but I felt like I wanted to tell it in a way that it's hardly ever presented. And so just in brief, and I spend time on this in the book, but um, if you think about it, when a, when a baby is born, it's born to who? The Always mother, a yes. mother. Always a mother. Hopefully, to the mother. Yes. Hopefully a father too in tandem. That's going to work out best. But regardless of that, it's always a mother. Always right. a mother. And there's almost nobody that's going to claim that when a woman bears a child, 
that that child does not belong to her. That's something that almost all cultures and people have respected for all time is when a baby is born, it belongs to the mother. So that's significant. We kind of take that for granted, but that is absolutely key to the functioning of free society. And there's a couple of reasons why. So first of all, just just one other thought before you go there. And the fact that not only the baby belongs, it's connected with the, with the cord, it's been carried by, right. It's been Mm -hmm. nurtured. So it's, it's, it's so it's like, it's a part of your body, but it's not, we know that it is, it is a separate human being, a little person, but it, it is a part of us. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. It's undeniable. So I'm just reaffirming what you're saying. It right. Does, and children belong to moms. That's right. They do. And they're supposed to. And right. that's intentional. And there's reasons for that. And one, right. I'll, I'll just piggyback on what you just started to say, is that um, because a baby has been, in essence, a part of the mom's body inside right. the mother's body, right. the mother feels like the baby is actually part of her, which the baby right. is. And it's also literally a part of the father. And so mm-hmm. if... Usually people have a love of themselves to the level of self-preservation and that's a healthy kind of self-love, right? We, right. we want to protect ourselves. We want to nourish ourselves. And, and that is in fact, good to a certain point. And so how do you get somebody to love somebody else in that mm-hmm. profound way? That's hard, but mm-hmm. God has found a way. And that is through childbirth in the family, because a child is literally part of its father and mother. And so right. the self-love that we all kind of inherently have is then transferred to in most, in almost all cases, most cases is then transferred to, it helps us transfer our self-love to the love of others, which are our children because they were part of us. We love them because they were part of us. Mm -hmm. And that's why families usually work. I'm not saying families are always perfect, but they're the things that work the best, that nurture humanity the best. Okay. So going back to, to where I was, yeah, going back to where I was going before. So if, if babies do in fact belong to their mothers and fathers, Mm -hmm which they do, Mm -hmm. then that establishes a private organization that we have come to call the family. It's private Mm -hmm. because of the anatomy of the woman claims a baby at birth. And Mm -hmm. so few people think about it, but it's, it's really important because, you know, the kind of battle that we're, we're fighting now that, you know, is that who should, who should raise humanity? Is it parents or is it the collective? Is it a collective raising Mm -hmm. children or is it private and parents? Well, Biology and, and anatomy establishes that privatization wins, that right. raising humanity is meant to be a private project. Of course, there can be right. supporting, you know, elements, but sure. but but raising a child is meant to be a private thing, not not a public thing. Right. And so the family itself, when the birth of every birth of every baby establishes privatization. And yes. so if you're a globalist or someone who believes mm-hmm. in collectivism, that's problematic for you. The family right. is your number one enemy. Sure because is. because it's really hard to get rid of and it privatizes everything. So right. because the family is private, the whole rest of our culture, the whole rest of our economy leans in a private direction. Mm-hmm. And and then and then the work of mothers, which they usually do out of love for free, supports the entire economy in which we live. Now we could go in that direction. The, the the powers that be at the United Nations thinks that think that's horrible and that right. that's just unpaid work and that women are oppressed. Women are not oppressed right. for being for raising their own children. Most women right. want to do this, right. regardless of they may have other career goals. They may do other things, of and that's course. perfectly that's perfectly fine. But right. top priority for most women is their children, and yes. that's that's as it should be. And when we lose that. 
or if we start to say that 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 uh, the raising of children should be communal rather than private in families, we are going down a very dangerous path. And I believe right. we've been going down it for a while. And I believe that's why we're seeing so much of oh, the fallout in society that we're seeing is because of the lack of mothering and fathering and prioritizing right. that both in policy and in private practice. Right. The culture now is coming with a new message, you know, career first. Mm-hmm. Um, children are burdensome. Uh, you know, don't yeah. give up your life for a family. Don't um, submit to a male, don't get married, do it on your own, you know, mm-hmm. and, and really, unfortunately, some of the culture has bought into this, but really this has been their agenda all along, because mm-hmm. just like you're saying, Kimberly, there is nothing that can come between a mother and a child. They will go to the ends of the earth to all, they'll break it all out to protect right. your child. That's and that's what they, we moms are famous for, right? right. Um, the love of a mother, the mama right. bear. And, and it's meant to be because if, if each child is, right. is prioritized by their own parents and protected and guided by their own parents, then theoretically the whole world is guided and protected. Right. Of course, there's, there's situations of when there are orphans in a, a compassionate society then takes mm-hmm. care of those children. But, but by and large, the system works because Parents prioritize their own children. And when everyone does that, everyone benefits. Every child benefits. So you're seeing such a connection between um, the destruction of the family, the sexualization of children, the global community coming in, um, and really um, competing to raise your child. And then somehow all this messaging is wearing moms down because some are crushing Mm -hmm. to this, right? we're, We're seeing the crushing happening. And it's because really moms have lost control. Dads have lost control in their Mm -hmm. home and in their, in their community. And if, if moms are told over and over that what they're doing is meaningless and doesn't contribute to society. Uh So in the book, I, I, I cite how this ideology goes back to uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, the founders of modern, modern socialism. They, they say that women should be liberated from the care of children so that they can engage in socially productive work. So what they're they're saying is that raising humanity is not socially productive work. And that's just ridiculous on its face. That's, that's a lie. But so many women, you know, if you tell women for so long that that's an oppressed position and an important and how they can really contribute is by getting out there and contributing to the GDP that, that, you know, a lot of the work of the mother of mothering is private and it is not appreciated broadly. It can't be because it's private, which it should remain that way. And so, but, but mothers, um, don't get enough of the message that they are powerful, that they They sit in the position of greatest power and they can manage that however they want. And, and in a family a a father and a mother can manage their roles, however they want, however they want to balance those. And it's, it's really ingenious because it, it it provides for a great deal of flexibility while still Mm -hmm. raising humanity in the best, uh, circumstances possible. I love that term that you're saying, raising humanity. I've never just used that word. I'm going <laughs> to, raising humanity. You know, we talk about raising little humans and all these different things and raising mm-hmm. our families and raising the next generation, but raising humanity. I mean, what a gift it is uh, to be a mother. And actually, Kimberly, I'd love for mm-hmm. you just now to speak to our moms that are listening and the message that you are sharing all across the country and in your book about the important role. You just touched on it. It's a beautiful um, honor that we have as a mother, but what would you like to say to our moms right now? And maybe to the n- younger generation that are looking at, should I be a mom? Shouldn't I be a mom? Could mm-hmm. you believe that this is actually a question 
in the next generation, right. should I become a mom? Of course you could become a mom if God allows. Right. If it's, God the, allows. it's the best thing ever. Being a mom is is painted. It's just ironic that motherhood is painted as a press, an oppressive position because a mother, my experience has been that while there are great and deep responsibilities that are heavy at times, yeah. I as a mother have the greatest freedom uh, of any other job or assignment that I know of. Mom, moms can do motherhood however they want. Every day looks <laughs> like what they want it to look like. They don't have to be somewhere nine to five and have someone else telling them what to do. They are the masters of their time and their influence and the, and the raising of their children in the way that they think's best. It's, it's, right. it's freeing. It's um, not oppression. And uh, I, I taught a last summer, I taught a workshop um, at a national conference about being a mom. And it, this, this conference was all about families. And I found it ironic that I was the only person that I know of that addressed motherhood. And I talked specifically to the, the, the cohort that just, you just referenced of young girls. And I talked about how, um, painted the picture of why motherhood is important. And all the data in the world suggests that a baby's connection to its mother in the first three or four years of life is absolutely mm. critical to the success of that person uh, going forward for the rest of their lives. And the warm connection between mother and child is the most uh, consistent predictor of, of success in, mm -hmm. in all measurable areas than, than anything else, the warm connection of a mother to a child. So that is significant. And so oh. if you, if you tell girls, you know, college age girls, I have four of them. If we let them know that while they're pursuing their education, while they're doing these other things, while they have business ambitions, that it's also okay to pursue motherhood and to prioritize motherhood, especially in the first three years of your child's life. That's very freeing. And to, to, to help them see how they can do that. And um, so anyway, I taught this, I taught this class about the power of being a mom and how great it is right. and how you can prioritize it and still do other things. And I had so many girls from that age group come up to me afterwards and they said, no one has ever talked to us about this before. Why don't more wow. people talk about this? And I was kind of floored. No one had had this conversation about how, hey, it's okay to be a mother. In fact, it's great to be a mother. And in fact, you can do it <laughs> and manage the rest of your life. It is doable. Right. And in fact, it's going to be the greatest thing you ever do. And you're, you're going to love it. You know, right. so, so that's the message so I think that we can, we can share to the, and that perhaps we haven't as older moms, perhaps we can do better at sharing mm -hmm. that, that message of how we cherish motherhood. Cause it's easy to talk about the burdens of it because they are many. Right. But I think we need to talk more about the joys and Amen. The, the investment that motherhood is that blesses you for the rest of your life and your children. I think, Kimberly, as you're saying that um, in days gone by, not that it was perfect, but the family was more solid, the foundation mm -hmm. of family. Um, parents controlled their home more. Um, they had more interaction. So as we have declined, I guess we've lost the beautiful message of motherhood. I think it was just always understood that motherhood was a gift mm -hmm. and a special uh, role that God allowed you to have. But now, since the culture, like you're saying, is coming and destroying, even just that motherhood is questionable. Um, mm -hmm. We're just really at crazy time. So thank you for mm -hmm. um, discussing this and and ex really exposing um, what's really happening. And, and again, um, I, I, I guess this whole sexual rights for children, what can we do as parents? I do want to end with that too. We've talked about the importance of, of mm -hmm. motherhood in that role, but what about this 
sexual rights for children. I mean, it's shocking to hear that this is an agenda. What do we need to be aware of and doing and, and, and how to protect our kids better? Thank you. And there are several things that we need and can do. Um, the main thing we need to do is to teach at home. I'm not saying we have to homeschool. I'm saying we have to teach our children at home Correct. the truth about specifically chastity, marriage, sex, gender, and the family. Mm. Like these these aren't just assumed anymore. Our children right. aren't going to get the positive and right message about, about these things anymore if we don't provide it. So we need to find appropriate and freaking frequent ways right. to teach our children what we believe about these key important issues and right. to be consistent at it. And, um, that's that's non-optional and i believe that's the place where we can actually have the biggest impact is in our homes teaching our children uh, what we believe is right now of course beyond that we, you know our schools have been infected with this this sexual rights ideology yeah. seeping like we're everyone's alarmed at what we're seeing in the past two years right coming out in schools all these sexual things well surprise in my book i kind of expose where that's been coming from to a very large degree. Um, and it's anchored at the United Nations and their partners, and they have billions of dollars to push this agenda forward and to get it not only into our schools, but into the culture. And right. so we, of course, we have to fight to keep comprehensive sexuality education out of our schools. As a resource for this, people can go to stopcse.org. I think your members have been in, in this fight against comprehensive yes. sexuality education, but that's right. a, a, a site that's super helpful. Stopcse.org. There's a, um, a, a, first of all, a documentary there that's really helpful, a short and long version. Don't let any kids see it, of course, but it, it paints the picture very clearly. And then there's also a map where you can click on your state, see what's happening there and how you can be involved. And the third thing I would suggest is um, phone use. If Even if mm -hmm. we teach at home, even if we are successful in getting sexual content out of our schools, if we then hand our children a fully enabled device, internet enabled yeah. device, we yeah. hand it all to them anyway. Right. And I think we need to be to really reconsider what we're doing, handing Agreed. our children devices like this. And Agreed. it's easy to say, well, I have to because of this and this and this, but do you really? And I think of it as like, when you see a drug advertised on TV, all the good it does. And then you see this long, long line of possible side effects. You know what I'm talking about, those commercials. Yeah. And at the right. end of it is possible death, you know? Um, think about phone use that way. Um, yeah. Yes, it can help your child connect. Maybe they need it to do their homework, whatever. But if the list of side effects is so profound and so awful that so in the awful. end, you lose the soul of your child. I know. Perhaps we need to look for another way and we need yeah. to... Um, protect our children, um, not confuse trusting our children with protecting our children because they still need our protection, even in their teenage years. So we've got to teach, we've got to protect at school, and we've got to protect uh, in social media and the phones. Yeah. And they need it more the older they get. I remember mm -hmm. at 11, 12 years old, I had decided that my dad was just too, too strict. And he said <laughs> to me, oh no, when you were little, mama took care of you. When you're older, daddy taking care of you because these <laughs> what are a when, good dad. right. Cause these are when you can make the most horrific decisions. The yes. older they get, the bigger the problems are. Mm -hmm. And to the phones, you've got a little guy coming up. Um, you know, I've got a high schooler and we've done things completely different than I did from seven, eight years ago with my older kids because mm -hmm. the culture is changing. And that's what moms yes. have to understand. The culture is changing. Now you've got to look at this phone as, um, almost as, as an enemy. 
And what's mm -hmm. coming in there is going to be teaching your child um, much more than you can ever expose. So we yep. have to just be handling things so different. And I keep telling, I told my son, my, uh, my kids, when they'd say, well, the other parents don't do this. I said, well, too bad. Those parents need to be doing, it. I'll give them a call and let them know <laughs> because they need to wake right. up. They need to wake up. And I think yeah. we can, yeah, we can band together with other parents. And so we're not the only ones that are doing right. it for our kids. And we can create around our children intentionally uh, the, a culture that, that we want to support for them. Last uh, clip here. I just want to have you talk about the, just briefly, I guess, if we have a couple of minutes here, the four mm -hmm. tactics to unseat motherhood, because we now we've kind of, we've covered it all, but I want to bring mm -hmm. it back to the fact is that they want to deny the role of motherhood. And what are some of those tactics that you're seeing? Right. Well, the first thing to do is to, uh, the forces that be, they want to dethrone mothers from their powerful seat that they're sitting on. Mm. And first of all, they entice mothers to step off that seat yes. voluntarily, to to tell moms that, that we need to free them from the care of their own children so that they can do something that's more helpful and productive. Yeah. That is the main one that we're witnessing right now. And then, mm -hmm. you know, other tactics include commercializing parenthood, which is done through third-party reproduction and, and uh, the family structure that we're now allowing legally um, plays into that in a big way. And so, you know, there's just, there's a push to get mothers to not, it's been said that to get someone to give up their power, you just need to convince them that they don't have any. And I think ah. that's what's happened with with women and mothers. Oh, that's such a, a non-powerful position. Like when I'm at the United Nations, so often just I was there a couple of weeks ago and uh, this woman said, and, and so often it said, <laughs> I don't, I look around Crazy. and I don't see women in positions of power. And I just want to say, you're looking in the wrong place. Every mother who is the queen of her home and the master of her family is in a position of power, be a beyond, you know, the leader of a country. Yes, we can have women as leaders of countries. That doesn't bother me. We can have women in, in political positions. That doesn't bother me. But to say that we, she looks around and doesn't see women in positions of power, look around, look deeper, look to the home. That's where true power lies. Kimberly, don't you sometimes feel like, are we living in, in different worlds? Because some of these people have such a bizarre take on the world. I, I just never felt like I couldn't do anything or be anything. I have my baby on my hip and I just keep going <laughs> forward. Right. You right. know, and that's what we do as moms. But like you're saying, it's, it's really, it's the freeing women from the family. So it's back to the oppressed and the oppression. Mm -hmm. oppressed. Yes. And it's, it's uh -huh. let the, let the state take it, let the school take it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just, just convincing women that they can't do it or it's just too big. It's just too hard. Right. But, which is such a disempowering message. And they always, you know, the, right, the line the is opposite. always, we want to empower women. Well, let's tell them where their power really lies. And just, you know, kind of to wrap up, you know, it was, it was Lennon who said, give me four years to teach the mm -hmm. children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Mm -hmm. He understands and all savvy leaders understand that those first critical years of life are, are key. And the forces around us are after those first four years. Don't give them up, moms. Don't give them up. They're yours. God gave them to you and they are yours to shape your children. And it will have profound and lifelong and worldwide mm -hmm. consequences. Amen, sister. <laughs> Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your book. Tell us again the title of your book and where we can get it at. Sure. Let me hold it up here for you. It's it the, inv the Invincible Family. Why the Global Campaign to Crush Motherhood and Fatherhood Can't Win. You can find it on Amazon. Um, and also my website is invinciblefamily.com. I love it. That's what I want to be, an invisible family. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Kimberly. Um, we're praying for you and your tribe and, and uh, really your mission. So thanks Thank so you, much Pam. for what you're doing and thanks for joining us. Thank you. What a great conversation with Kimberly. I know you're going to want to go ahead and get her book. So please put that on your purchase list. Alrighty, so here in closing, I do want to invite everyone again to visit our website at momsforamerica.us to check out all of our resources, our events, our programs. We have so much material for you moms that will help you um, just to raise patriots and to make a difference in your home and in your community. Uh, one of those programs is our cottage meetings. It is 12 lessons that will inspire and educate you about America's amazing heritage so you can share those principles of liberty in your home and again, right in your community. This is how moms are making a difference all across the country, right? We here at Moms for America, we encourage, empower, educate you, mom, and then you go ahead and you teach your children. That's what's so powerful about mamas. Alrighty, we also wanna invite you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go ahead, when you're on our, our, our website, sign up for our newsletter. This will help you uh, get educated on issues that relate to you as a mom um, and engage with moms all across the country and find out exactly what we're doing here at Moms for America. Also, if you have a, any feedback uh, on the podcast or a guest or a topic, would you please email me at podcast at momsforamerica.net? I would love to hear from you. All right, mamas, we say this every week. We believe that liberty begins at home and that you moms, you are truly the heartbeat of America. That's why this movement is so powerful. It's because of moms just like you. Alrighty, I will see you back here next week for another informative episode on our podcast. Uh, like, subscribe, share, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. And as always, mamas, let's keep changing our world one home at a time. I'll talk to you soon.